With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to Two Footed Podcast on Friday, September 25th. Two Footed Podcast, of course, brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out all their services at LibertyShield.com. Thanks, as always, to Fox Hunt for our title music. Make sure you check them out at Fox Hunt on the Twitter machine. You'll find their stuff on Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your music. Right, um, bit of a packed show today because we've got to do the uh, Premier League predictions with, with producer Guy. But before we get to that, um, I want to just shout out at GA93 on the Anfield Index Discord, who put a question to me. He says, I was watching the Torres documentary and I was wondering if in the future you could make an episode about a football player's career. Who would you like to see a documentary series or film on? I say this because the majority I, I've watched haven't been interesting, maybe because I grew up watching each step of their career as it was well documented without a film being made. A player I would like to watch, for example, is Ricardo Caresma. So thought this would be a nice way to start today's show. So I put a bit of time into this, and uh, I've cheated a little bit. Um, I've picked five players. I've picked a manager a sporting director and three groups of players that I would like to see, you know, made into documentaries, films, series, whatever. So the first one is Michael Laudrup. Michael Laudrup is my all-time favorite player. Uh, he was quite an enigmatic figure, one of the very few players that made the Barcelona to Real Madrid move, was Denmark's best ever player, but didn't play in the 1992 European Championships because he had a falling out with the manager. Um, played in Japan, played for Ajax, almost signed for, for Liverpool at one point, but couldn't agree on the length of term, the length of the contract term. I would just, I'd love to see a documentary made about Michael Laudrup, a really in-depth look at him, him reflecting back on his career, talking about some of the decisions he made whether he has any regrets, including in his managerial career as well, because he's had some great moments and some bad moments with that as well. Um, I've always found him fascinating. So he would be, he would top the list for me just purely because he's the guy I grew up adoring. Um, Number two is Sebastian Deisler. Now, it's a very different situation here. Sebastian Deisler 
came through the Borussia Mönchengladbach academy, played for their first team, they got relegated, moved to Hertha Berlin, and became the biggest star in German football, the biggest young star. He was the next big thing. He was going to be the guy. It was, you know, it was predetermined that he was going to be the main focal point of the German national team. He was their David Beckham, if you like. And he moved to Bayern Munich. And unfortunately for him, injuries and severe depression completely derailed his career. Him and Michael Balak were meant to be the two. Balak was a bit older, three or four years older. But those two were meant to just dominate everybody. They were meant to dominate for Bayern. They were meant to dominate for Germany. They joined Bayern the same summer, 2002. Balak's career went up and up and up. And unfortunately, Deisler's fell by the wayside. And he's pretty much disappeared from football. And I would love to see him talk retrospectively about his career, about what he went through, because I think it could be quite a powerful message. As I talked about yesterday um, with, with Jordan Ibe, we don't know what's going on with players, and it's very easy to criticise, but you just don't know what's going on. So I, I'd love to see Sebastian Deisler open up about what he went through um, and what he's doing with himself now, because it, it does interest me. So the next one then is Romario, because as a kid, Romario was just the most fun player to watch. You'd rarely get to see him because, you know, Spanish football at the time wasn't shown in well, in Ireland or in England. Uh, so you'd be relying on Champions League football. But we saw him tear United apart and, you know, just saw him at the World Cup for Brazil. Ludicrously talented. An absolute lunatic. Made just bizarre career decisions. Did not have, in truth, the career, club-wise, that his talent dictated he should have had. But you can't argue what, what the man accomplished in the game. One of the all-time greats. Fascinating character. I'd love to see a documentary on him. Javier Zanetti would be one I'd like to see. And in part because it would be a little bit of a retrospective on a long period of Inter Milan where they went through about a decade and a half of just continual disappointment where they fell at the final hurdle, where they should have been the best team and somehow managed to make make a mess of it. And then, you know, Calciopoli happens and all of a sudden they start having the success Culminating, of course, in the the Champions League win. Um, I think Zanetti's the best right back of all time, and I, I'd be very interested to see that. Uh, the next one then would be Daniel Agger, and this is purely a biased pick as a Liverpool fan. I just I love Daniel Agger. I, I've, I absolutely love him. I think he was a great player for us. Injuries ruined him um, at times, but when he was fit, he was he was second to none, as good a centre back as there was in the league for a couple of years. And just a fascinating character, really interesting, thoughtful man who does a lot that people don't know about. And um, he's become a tattoo artist as well, which is just a really interesting way 
to spend the second half of your life after after football. So they they'd be the five players that I would go for. Um, I'd really like to see a documentary on Chris Wilder. I don't care whether it's you know an all or nothing on Sheffield United, whether it's just Wilder talking about his career and how he got to the highest level, having started out you know as a manager in non-league. Um, I, I just think he's a fascinating character. I think he's an incredible tactician. I think he's really innovative. His staff are great, and I'd just be really interested to see that one. <clears throat> From a sporting director point of view, Monchi at Sevilla would have to be the one. Monchi is one of the very best ever, but what he's done at Sevilla in two spells now is just incredible. The success they have on the budget that he operates on is um, is truly remarkable. It would be just interesting to see him talk about, you know, competing in Spain against with well, big three now, but the big two as it was for quite a while, um, and and having having success through the Europa League, through domestic, you know, getting top four, things like that. I think that would be really interesting. The next one would be my first group of players. So this is a little bit of nostalgia. One of the the first non-English teams that I really loved was the first great Parma team with Aspria, Brawling and Zola. And I'd love to see those three brought back together to talk about then, now, and everything in between. They've gone completely different directions in their lives, obviously. Brolin, I think, is a, is a professional poker player now. God knows what Esprit is up to. Zola's been a manager. Such contrasting personalities. Um, all three of them came to the Premier League. To varying levels of success. Zola, arguably the best player Chelsea ever had. Aspria had moments of brilliance at Newcastle, but it didn't always work. And unfortunately for Leeds United, when they brought brought in Brolin, he he just his weight ballooned and he he never performed. He had some injuries and he just didn't perform. So I, I would love to see those three talk and reminisce about that. Incredible team they were part of. Um, yeah, that that'd be that'd be the next one. Number nine would be the Middlesbrough team of ninety six ninety seven. I had Tom Flight on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, talking about his book "You're Joking, Aren't You," which is the story of that year. And ever since then, I've just been thinking about that team and. I'd love to get that entire team back together, or as, ma- as many of it as you could. Talk about that season, where it went wrong, what happened, and I'd just love to see the arguments, because you know there's definitely some bitterness between some of the players and others. Some who tried and others who didn't. I'd imagine Ravinelli probably wouldn't do that, but uh, I'd love to see him, you know, I'd love to see it happen. And Emerson's probably the one who wouldn't want to do it because you know he he went walkabout for a while. And the final one then is one I've I've always wanted, and it's the Yugoslav team of the nineteen ninety World Cup. Because if you go back and look at that squad and 
many of them are part of the Red Star Belgrade team that would go on to win the European Cup. The likes of Darko Panchev, Dragan Stojkovic, he, he went left and went to Marseille before they won, but he was in that squad. Prozanecki, Boksic, Robert Yarny, Dejan Savicevic, Davor Sukar. Like it's just top-class players, names of players who shaped the 1990s. Names of players who would shape other countries. And that's where the, my fascination is, is. That team was so talented and so young that they could have gone on and become one of the big forces in world football. Instead, it was split up and it became a number of teams. Obviously, understandably. But it is the one lost gem of international football that this team didn't grow together and develop further because they had so much talent. And when you think about the players in this team and how they went on to become starring players for other countries, Serbia, Macedonia, Croatia, obviously, Bosnia, Montenegro. It is just, you know, it's it's so fascinating to think what they could have been. So, yeah, I'd love to get this group of players back together. Um, talk about this, that World Cup, their experience together. Talk about qualifying for the 92 European Championships, being forced to pull out of it. The team that replaced you, Denmark, going on to win it. And then what the relationships were like when they were one and when they became multiple. Um, it's just, it's always interesting. They were guys you knew nothing about, I knew nothing about as an eight-year-old watching the 1990 World Cup. They were just these fascinating players who played an incredible pace and pushed Argentina to the very, very limit. Um yeah, that's that would be my 10. Michael Laudrup, Sebastian Teisler, Romario, Javier Zanetti, Daniel Agger, Chris Wilder, Monchi, Aspria, Brolin and Zola, the Burris squad of 96-97, and the Yugoslav squad of 1990. So that would be it. So thank you to GA93. Hope that answers that for you. Uh, now it's time to bring in producer Guy. How are you, Guy? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. You, you, have you noticed I said borough properly? I, I I appreciate it. I do. Yeah, I do. So I had been saying borough, but Guy is a native of borough. Informed me that that was incorrect, and he scolded me, and now I said properly. Exactly. You couldn't do a whole podcast on borough and and have it have have such filth. <laughs> <laughs> Could be worse. I could call you Sunderland. Oh, um, right, guy. We have ten games this weekend, so we'll rattle through them. I'll uh, predict them wrong, of course, because that's you know Obviously. that's what we do. Yeah, gee, you've been around long enough. You know how bad <laughs> I am at this. Um, but yeah, so uh, line me up. Yep, it, it looks like a, a fun weekend. Um, so first game, early kickoff. Uh, on paper, I mean, this could be one of the surprising games of the weekend. Brighton v Man United. Uh, Man United started terribly, obviously. 
Uh, and Solskjaer has been bigging up Eric Bai, who I know you're a fan of, but, you know, you've got Lindelof and Maguire going to buy who's made out of crisps. It's a bit of a risk, isn't it? It's a massive risk. And I do like Bai. I think he's, I think he's got, well, I used to think he had a lot of potential, but we're now, well, three years, four years later, and um, he hasn't developed at all since joining United. He's the same d- defender he was when he arrived. He makes the same errors. He has the same issues in his game. And like you said, he is incredibly fragile uh, from a physical standpoint. I wrote a little blog for um, Liberty Shield. It's available on libertyshield.com if you'd like to check it out. Uh, previewing three games for this weekend. And this was one of the ones I picked because I, I, I agree with Guy. I think this is a fascinating game. Now, uh, Basuma is, is out because he's suspended after his you know sweet chin music. <laughs> to Jamal Lewis last weekend. Um, Florian Andone is out and Jose Esquerdo is out. But it looks like Lamptey and Aaron Connolly will both be back fit for Brighton. So they'll be pretty close to full strength. United are at full strength. The only players out are Tuanzebe, Sergio Romero and Phil Jones. None of whom were likely starters anyway. So I, I think this is going to be a really interesting game. I think United have a have a lethal front three, assuming he plays them, Greenwood, Martial, and Rashford. But I think they have an imbalanced midfield. And I think they've got holes at the back. Brighton have a really strong defence. That back three of White, Dunn, and Webster is going to be really, really good. Um, Lamptey's going to cause United a ton of problems, an absolute ton of problems. And um, they've got, you know... Less talent in midfield, but I think more competency in midfield. Mm. And then they've got pace and movement up front. And that pace and movement up front with Connolly, Trossard, and Mope caused Newcastle all manner of problems. I think it will cause United problems as well. United have the quality, though, in the final third. So I'm going to say a draw. But don't be surprised if it's two defeats from two for United. I'll say a two-all draw. I think it will be an entertaining game. But um, I thought United would be Crystal Palace, and they just looked hopeless. If they'll play like that, Brighton will wipe the floor with them. But I'm I'm ba- backing the bounce back for United. I think. Yeah, my mate was saying they weren't very good against Luton in the middle of the week as well. So might be an interesting one. But again, I think I think what we can say about this one, there will be goals. I imagine. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah. Um. So moving on. Again, probably again another really interesting game. Palace probably the surprise of the season so far, and Everton, who, as Liverpool fans, surprisingly competent. Everton, uh, what do you yeah. think of this one? Yeah, both teams with, with two wins from two. Um, Palace probably the more surprising of the two. Now, both teams are going to be missing a number of players in this game. Um. For Everton, Branthwaite is out. Probably wouldn't have started. But Mason Holgate's their best centre-back. He's out. Jonas Lossel is ruled out. That's Cenk a real shame, Lossel. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's it. <laughs> Pickford, Jordan Pickford does not look like a goalkeeper who's, who's you know, full of confidence at the moment. Um, and John philippe Gabaman, who would probably be a starter in midfield, he's ruled out as well. For Palace, Connor Wickham, Patrick Van Aanholt, Jaro Riedeveld, Christian Benteke, James Tompkins, Scott Dan, Gary Cahill, and Nathan Ferguson all ruled out. 
So you'd expect to see more of the same from Palace with Coyate playing centre-back next to Sacco. Um, and that's worked. that worked really well at Old Trafford. And if they play the same level in this game, I think they'll have a little bit more joy. I, I think Everton are dangerous, though. And Calvert-Lewin has started the season brilliantly. James Rodriguez is finding the Premier League to be quite to his taste. I think I think this is another draw. I do. I think this is another draw. I think we'll go one all for this one, but it could go either way. Um, it really could go either way. This it's a it's a really interesting battle. If it was that good, I'd, I'd pick Everton. But given it's it's at Selhurst, and I know you know home advantage is nothing really at the moment, as we've seen by a lot of the results. But I'll go for a draw. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, we didn't get a chance to have a bit of a laugh about it, but what do you make of the Pickford situation? I know you're, you've championed them getting a new goalkeeper for a while, but is Kepa being as bad, taking a lot of heat away from him, or is it probably the fact that he's English? What, what do you think? It's it's both. It's It's the fact that he's English and he's England number one, so the mistakes are being overlooked or played down. Um, Kepa being so poor last season and then you know the mistake against Liverpool I think that has taken the the attention away from him mm. I, I think Jordan Pickford if I'm being honest is is at best the fourth best English goalkeeper and I actually think he's probably the fifth best English goalkeeper because Nick Pope is 100% better than him Dean Henderson is definitely better. I think Alex McCarthy is better, and I think mm-hmm. Fraser Forster is better. And if I was to sit and think about it, there's probably others as well. Ram, even Ramsdale is not exactly Ramsdale's star, potentially. Yeah. Like, if you look up and down the league, right, Patricio is... Let's look up and down the league. Let's just take, uh, take a moment to do this. Bernard Leno is better than him. I think um, Emmy Martinez is better than Pickford. I think mm. they're... Other keeper, Tom Heaton, yeah. is better than Pickford. So that, that would make um, Pickford the sixth best English keeper. Matt Ryan is better mm-hmm. than Pickford. Pope, obviously. Um, Kepa, at his very best, is definitely better than Pickford. But Kepa is uh, this Kepa is not. Edward Mendy will reserve judgment on. So we, you know, I think we'll park Chelsea. Um, we have three better than him. <laughs> Liverpool. Guaita, I'm not sure. I think he's a solid shot stopper. As a traditional goalkeeper, Guaita is probably a little bit better, but Pickford is better with his feet and he's a better quite, sweeper I keeper. Like, I quite like guys, Guaita. Um, he's better than any of the Leeds goalkeepers. They're, Mesley is just not there yet, but Schmeichel is better than him. Allison is better than him. Ederson is better than him. He's probably about even with Claudio Brava. United have two keepers better than him in De Gea and Henderson. And Romero's probably mm. probably more reliable than him, but not a, not more talented than him. Mm. Um is better than him. At the minute, we'll, I'd put him ahead of Ramsdale just because Ramsdale had a rough season last yeah. year. But I think Saints have two keepers better than him. Uh, Spurs have Larice, who's better than, better than him. 
West Brom, it's Sam Johnston, isn't it? Um, mm. I like Sam Johnston, and he's probably more reliable, but we give Pickford the benefit of the doubt. I think he's better than Fabianski, who I'm, I've never been a fan of, but Rui Patricio is better, better than him as well. Mm-hmm. There's probably 15 keepers in the league. Starting keepers, not just you know starting in depth. There's probably 15 better, better than him. Yeah. Um, I, I, that's, that's the God's honest truth of it. I just don't think he's a good goalkeeper. Uh, I think he's got talent, but I think he's also a goalkeeper who just concedes a lot of goals. And that's been a problem during his loan spells at Sunderland and at Everton. He is just a goalkeeper who concedes an absolute shed ton of goals. And that's not a habit that's easy to break. And he makes mistakes. Like, it's not just the, the shots he doesn't save. It's the mistakes he makes as well. Mm-hmm. The the Divock Origi moment. You see midweek. Um, the, and, and what he did midweek mm-hmm. against Fleetwood. Now, and then the thing for me is he then turns around and blames the defenders. <laughs> right. Yes, the ball was played to you under a little bit of pressure. But you're meant to be this really good kicker of the ball. And yet the reason you got yourself in so much trouble is because you insisted on putting the ball onto your left foot. Just clear it with your right foot. All goalkeepers should be working hard on their weaker foot. If he just puts his right foot through that ball, it just goes sailing down the field and there's no issue. But he tries to put it onto his left foot. It's a really heavy touch. And he gets closed down. And that's it. That's what happens. So... I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm out on Pickford. And Everton have a ceiling on where they can get to as long as he's the goalkeeper. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It, it would have been the first thing I'd, I'd change. I know the midfield was a dumpster fire, but maybe after that, he, he would have been the first. Um, so, yeah. But uh, we've spent too much time on Everton. What, what was it, a draw you went for that one? A draw, yeah. Yeah. So we'll move on. West Brom v Chelsea. West Brom have started the league terribly. But Chelsea haven't looked too good. Obviously, we kind of just controlled them most of the game. And their first game, uh, it was Brighton, wasn't it? Um, they didn't look in control at all, really. So maybe maybe this suits West Brom where there's le- less expectation. Yeah. Um... I my concern is that I just I think West Brom are mm. in a little bit of a mess at the moment. Um, Kieran Gibbs is ruled out with, after sending off. Conor Gallagher can't play because it's his parent club. I, I, that's such a stupid rule. <laughs> um, Higazi is out. Grosicki is out. Robson Canoe is out, and Zahore is out. They just don't have any goals in the team. The the two wide boys are really good, Pereira and Diangana, but after them. I'm not sold on anything else. Uh, it concerns me that they've they've been so lax in the transfer market. Like they really needed to come out and be aggressive and get Billich some help. And Billich is probably going to be suspended. I assume yeah. he's suspended as well because yeah, yeah. he got a red card. So that doesn't help. Now it doesn't really matter because, in fairness, he could stand at the at the back of the stand and roar, and they'll hear him because there's no fans in the place. But Chelsea should have too much quality. If Chelsea can't win this game, they're in major major bother. I think Chelsea win this game comfortably. I'll say a 3-0 Chelsea win. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. This might be very, very early, but if Chelsea lose to West Brom, 
is Roman gonna Roman? If if Chelsea lose this game, I guarantee you, come come Monday morning, the people are already talking about about the possibility. I don't think Frank has any anything to worry about until Christmas time, unless like mm-hmm. it goes just dreadfully wrong and they lose like six in a row. Yeah, I think he's probably absolutely fine till at least Christmas time. I think he probably gets the season even if they don't get top four, but. Barring an absolute travesty where they they end up losing six in a row and there's talk of unrest and all this kind of stuff, I think he'll be okay for the the short term. But pressure will mount on him quickly because it's the nature of Chelsea. That's what they do. They they don't give managers second chances. They move on. They find the next guy. And it, look, you can't argue. It has worked for them so so well. They've won league titles, cups, European Cup. Roman does does Roman things and and they work they always work for him. Yeah, they do. They absolutely do. But uh, it will be interesting. Um, let's move on. Uh, the late kickoff. Uh, well, the late late kickoff on on Saturday. Uh, Burnley v Southampton. Obviously, Burnley only the one game. Um, and Southampton were just awful, just awful against um Tottenham. Maybe more important to Southampton than Burnley? Well, Southampton have lost two in a row mm. and uh, did not look good at Palace, were awful at home to Spurs. Like you said, that defence was just all over the place. Burnley were were terrible against um, against Leicester. So disorganised, mm. really un-Sean Dyche-like. Um, but they again, they were missing a whole bunch of players. So, you know, it is what it is. I... I think this one has I think this one has a draw written all over it as well. Um I'm gonna go with a draw. I'm gonna say they both get their first points. I think it'll be a fairly low key affair. Watch it be a seven goal thriller now, but I think this is gonna be <laughs> I think this has one one written all over it. Dice would fume at a high scoring game. <laughs> he won't enjoy it. If won't. Even if his team get five, he brings them in and has them extra laps. What is this? <laughs> uh, yeah, as you say, Burnley, uh, uh, both Ben Me and um, Tarkovsky are out, I think, aren't they? Um, whether Tarkovsky might be a bit of transfer rightus, we don't know. But um, yeah, they're, they're missing them too because. They have no backup at all. Um, so yeah, not just them two. Like they're missing yeah. Jack Cor, they're missing um, Johan Berg Goodmanson, they're missing Robbie Brady, they're missing Ashley Barnes, mm. they're missing Jay Rodriguez. Like they are Damn. very, very thin at the minute. Now yeah. Dale Stevens arrived during the week, but uh, you know he plays centre midfield. Westwood is is fit and Brownhill Brown. will play. So Brownhill on the right, you reckon? He just, I, I just. It concerns me how little Burnley have done, but as I said yesterday, um, they are now been linked and they're in talks for Harry Wilson from Liverpool. Mm, that'd be good. So that's an interesting one. Um, Southampton, it's, it's Nathan Redmond is out and Salisu is still out there, the, the injuries in that one. So I'm going to say a draw, but if mm-hmm. I had to pick a favourite in that one, I do think it is Sunderland because of the amount of... Sunderland. Southampton. <laughs> Southampton because of the injuries... That Burnley have that's a, like that's a lot of your spine. It's mm. it's one of your starting strikers, whichever way you look at them. It's your starting right winger, 
It's one of your starting central midfielders and both your starting centre-backs. That's a lot to take out of any team, let alone a team with a smaller squad as Burnley. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Danny Ings against uh, Dunn, is it? I think he only played at Accrington Stanley or something like that. So that'll be... A tough Actually, guy. Speaking of speaking mm. of um of of Southampton, while mm-hmm. we have them on, uh, it does appear that as well as Dean Smith at Villa listening to the podcast and now chasing, oh yes, of course, chasing uh, Ross Barkley, reported by the Daily Telegraph. Uh the Telegraph are also reporting that Southampton are in for uh, for Sangera, who I've been promoting for them for weeks now. Um. Other players currently been linked there. Tom Davies on loan. Hamza Chowdhury on loan. Mm. And Ruben Loftus-Cheek on loan. Um, it's They're all very different types of players. Yeah. Chowdhury's a ball-winning hole at a defensive midfielder. Loftus-Cheek is an attacking midfielder. And Davies is a box-to-box shuttler. So I I don't know, but they should... Sangeri, if they can get him, get him. A hundred percent get him. He he will be ideal for them. And if they'd like any more transfer advice, uh, Divock Origi banged in a goal last night. Twenty million. So did Gruwich have him as well. Do you know what? I I, I really want good. to see him stay in the Premier League. Yeah. I really want to see Gruwich stay in the Premier League. I I'd like to see Sheffield United come in for him, given they didn't follow my advice with Baptiste Santa Maria. Marco Gruwich, lads, he'll do that job for you. Sanderberg um, and Gruwich in the same midfield. All the height. All Christ. the hype. Imagine what they do to Chelsea's <laughs> set yeah, pieces. Just, just go and win a bunch of corners, lads. <laughs> yeah. Get all the tall fellas in the team. It'd be absolutely brilliant. <laughs> uh, that'd just be unfair to some teams. Um, well, we have to. Yeah, Burnley Southampton should be, should be, well, should be anything, really. But let's move on. Uh, Sunday, Sheffield United against Leeds. Uh, Leeds can't defend, but Sheffield United can't really attack all that well. So, five all? (laughs) Almost certainly. (laughs) Um, So, Sheffield United are going to be without John Egan, who's suspended, Lise Massette, who's injured, and Simon Moore, the backup goalkeeper, who's also injured. Leeds are without Adam Forshaw, uh, Gaetano Berardi, and Pablo Hernandez. And Hernandez is a big, big loss for them Mm. because he's so important to how they play. I think I think Leeds need to settle down. You can't have seven mm. goal thrillers every week. Uh, it's just not sustainable. Sheffield United need to find a way to start scoring some goals. They haven't started the season in good form. Two defeats from two. Leeds have a, have a three-point lead on them at the moment. This is the, the first Yorkshire derby in 19 years in the Premier League, guys. So this is a big deal. And this is the second game that I had... Um, Suggested that people watch in my blog on the Liberty Shield website. Um, I think this is the most fascinating tactical battle of the weekend. Mm. You've got Bielsa and Chris Wilder. Both of them really innovative. Both of them really want to play attractive football. Both of them can be a little bit dogmatic at times. But both of them just do really fascinating things with, with their setup. I think this is a battle of the managers more even than it is a battle of the players. Mm. I, 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 
I fancy another draw here, but I can't just pick every game as a draw. <laughs> I just can't. So I'm going to pick Sheffield United to win this game. I don't feel great mm. about it, but I'm going to pick Sheffield United to win this game. I think Pablo Hernandez is a massive loss for Leeds. Mm. Do you think it might be too soon for Lorente to start in defence, or do you think it'll be uh, Cooper and Koch? I think, th- I think they'll go back three, because... Mm. Um, Bielsa likes to have one extra centre-back to whatever his opposition has up front and we know Sheffield United will play two up front mm-hmm. so he will want to have three at the back so I'm going to guess that Luke Ayling plays on the right of a back three Cooper on the left and Cock in the middle Right. that's what I'm going to guess happens in this game Um, I don't think Lorente will start I think it is a little bit too early for him but uh, he's a really good addition. Like they've done really well to get him in. That's him and Robin Cock. That's, that's exceptional business to get two quality international class footballers for I think about thirty million combined. Yeah, something like that. It's not too shabby. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd probably make Sheffield slight favourites myself. Just I think. Bamford scoring, what is it, two goals, two games in a row now? It must dry up at some point. <laughs> See, that's uh, the thing. I just worry yeah. if I, I just worry about Leeds actually maintaining their their goal, their goal scoring over consistent games, especially when you take the most creative player out. Now they do have Rodrigo, who'll probably start this one. Mm. Um, but yeah, like Bam Bamford to me, if he gets ten goals this season, I think that'll be really impressive for him. So I I do think he's going to tr- go through you know spells where he just doesn't score for four or five games in a row. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They probably have the same problem with Rodrigo as well. <laughs> um, but it'll be interesting to see. Um, Spurs v Newcastle. Um, obviously, Spurs battered Southampton last week, and Newcastle got battered by Brighton. Um, <sighs> Is it too easy to just say Spurs will bat a Newcastle? I know Newcastle play completely different to Southampton. Is that is that the red herring here that Bruce will just whack him in low block? Yeah, I think I think that is definitely what he will look to do. Um, and Spurs won't just be able to have Harry Kane drop off and clip the ball in behind for Sonny. Um, Spurs are going to be without Gareth Bale, who arrived injured. Uh, Regulon, who's who's just not up to fitness yet, and Tanganga, who's got a thigh injury. So they'll be, you know, they're not missing anyone from last weekend. They'll be, you know, close enough to full strength. But Newcastle, they've got quite the injury list. Fabian Schaar is out. Dubravka's out. Matty Longstaff is out. St. Maximum is a doubt. Jamal Lewis is a major doubt. Mm -hmm. Paul Dummett is out. And Dwight Gale is out. And for a team that doesn't have the best, uh, the biggest squad, that's quite a lot to be without. So I, I'm going to have to go with Spurs here. I think they've got the better manager, they've got the better players, they're at home. Newcastle are without a number of key players. And if St. Maximin isn't even, if he plays and he's not fully fit, like that takes away a massive part of Newcastle's mm. attacking threat. Jamal Lewis, after the sweet chin music, is, is you know has a, a head slash face injury. Yeah. Um, I'd imagine he has a, he has a boot imprint across his jaw. Um, I I'm gonna say Spurs win this game three one. They have to really if they've got any ambition. 
They have to. They have to because, as, as I've said before, anything short of top four is an, an unmitigated disaster for them. So they they need to win this game. These are the type of games that they have to be winning. Even, even more of a disaster now with the two signings. Um, yeah, I'd go with Spurs as well. Just the injuries and Newcastle should catch up with them. Although maybe St. Max isn't as big a miss with Fraser and Almiron not starting recently. So they've got options there. But uh, Lewis, it'll probably mean Richie at left back. Something like that. So shouldn't be too pretty for them. Um, now this one is probably quite interesting on paper. But as people who've experienced Brendan, Brendan in big games when he's not got Luis Suarez, it's not the most fun. Especially, well, I'm sure you remember last season, they played us and Man City back-to-back and then their season got derailed. Um, So Man City v Leicester, and didn't Ndidi get injured for a few months yesterday or something? Yeah, and that's huge Mm. for them. Because he was was playing really well at centre-back, and when he went out last season and the midfield fell apart, um, that's you know in part what what caused their season to to go into the toilet. Um, City have quite the injury list though: Aguero, Bernardo Silva, Gundogan, Cancelo, Zinkovic, oh Zinkovic, Zinchenko, and um, <clears throat> Americ Laporte all out for this game. That's their best striker, one of their most creative midfielders, one of their most reliable midfielders. Both backup fullbacks and their best defender uh, all ruled out. So that's that's quite a lot. But Leicester are without Ricardo Pereira. Johnny Evans is back, which is big for them because mm. they, you know, with Ndidi been out, that was going to be massive. But Evans comes back in. Uh, Benkovic is out, and obviously Ndidi. So I, I think Leicester lose this game. Um, Pereira is so important to them as an as an attacking outlet and uh, a creative source down the right and Didi's sort of the glue that holds the whole team together Yeah. Uh, so even with City's injuries like look, Leicester will have chances in this game, Leicester are really good going forward and they're a lot of fun to watch and City do have massive holes in defence, like they were quite lucky to get out of that Wolves game with a win even though they played really well they did give up three or four really good chances uh, Wolves took one of them and made a mess of the rest of them. Um, Daniel Pedence needs to be flogged for attempting to lift the ball over Ederson when he could have just slid it beside him. Um, I'm going to say City win this game 4-2. It'll be fun, though. This mm. is the third game that I, I highlighted in that in that piece uh, on Liberty Shield. So I think I think this will this will be a really fun game. But uh, I never expect much from Brendan in big games, and I think Ndidi been out is massive. Yeah, I mean, what what do you think about how how bad that affects him long term? Because Leicester's, um, you'd imagine, still Champions League, if if not just Europa League as a minimum. But Ndidi being out for months in a condensed season is it's is huge. huge. Yeah, it's massive. Now it it almost certainly means that Hamza Chowdhury isn't going anywhere. Because he will have to stay and play, and um, they do also have uh, have Mendy, mm. but it is it's massive for them. He he's so important, and he's so good at what he does that you know you can't afford to lose players like that for for long periods of time. Um, I do. Th- 
will cause them to drop to drop a lot of points that they would expect not to drop. Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, you mentioned last season he. Obviously, it was like similar time to Ricardo uh, Pereira, but I think indeed he is the glue, as you say. Um, but anyway, they have yeah. decent fullbacks to step in. They have James Justin. They have Castagne now. They yeah. have fullback cover, yeah, yeah. who are who are good players. They don't have anybody on the level of Ndidi, though. No, no, not not at all, not at all. Maybe they'll have to do some business as well, um, but they probably needed it anyway. Um, your favourite topic, West Ham v Wolves. Um, West Ham obviously got COVID cases uh, linked with Fafana, who you you talked about yesterday, I believe. Um, and Wolves, albeit got beat by City, um, Jimenez is still good at football. Uh, a bit more promising with Samedo, so they can push Triore back up. Um, is this a one-way thing, or do you think West Ham can gather in difficult circumstances. Well, the issue for West Ham is that Mark Noble is almost certainly out hmm. uh, with a toe with a, with a foot injury. Um, it's the opposite out because he's got COVID. And Sebastian Haller has a tight hamstring. Now, Haller probably wouldn't have started because, you know, Moyes. But the op is a big blow at the back and, and Noble is their captain. And whether he should be in the starting team or not at the moment is not for me to say. I don't think he should, but... He's he's a blow for them not if he's not if he's not in the team um, because you know the way Moyes wants to play, um, he makes Mark Noble uh, an important piece of it. Wolves are without Mark Hall and Johnny Castro. This is, I think, this is West Ham's only opportunity at a point between now and the start of. November. Oof. But I don't think they're going to get one. I think Wolves are going to win. I think, like you say, they've got Jimenez, they've got Adama. I don't think West Ham have any way to stop those two. I think Ruben Neves will have a lot of fun in midfield in this one. I'm going to say Wolves win 2 0. Yeah, it's hard to disagree, really. Um, so many injury problems for West Ham, and even your manager's not there. So, yeah. Uh, and that's the other thing, like Moy Moyes has COVID as well. Mm. So he's not going to be there. So it's Alan Irvine who's his assistant who's going to take the team. He can't even now you can imagine, you know, Moy mm. Moyes will be, you know, on the other end of a phone, but uh not having your manager there is a big blow. Um Yeah, I, I can't see that they get a point. I'm gonna say Wolves. Maybe Alan Irvine will play all, all the good players up front instead of the grafters. Yeah, just completely ignore, <laughs> completely ignore what Moyes tells them to do, um, and and just go flat out with with all the good players. That would be something special. Um, let's move on to Monday then. Uh, Fulham v Aston Villa. Fulham look like kind of what we expected. Not very good mm-hmm. defensively. Um, Villa. Struggled to break down a, t- a ten-man Sheffield United, but ultimately got the win. Uh, Bertrand Traore signed and he scored a lovely goal last night. Um, if you've not seen it, it's a lovely finish. Um, if Aston Villa win this, I mean, six points from six after a difficult season last time, it's the perfect start. It is, and and this is a really, really good game for them to have right now. 
Ollie Watkins was really good against Sheffield United. Grealish just you know looks like he started the season in form. Bertrand Traore, like you mentioned, got a great goal last night. So I, I think I think he might start in this one as well because it's on the Monday. Fulham have everybody fit, but I just don't think they've got enough. I don't think they've got enough quality. Mitrovic is going to cause a lot of problems. I think he'll get a couple of goals here, but I think Villa will get a couple more. Sheffield United are good defensively. Fulham are not. I'm going to say Villa win this one 3-2. Yeah, I can see a lot of goals as well. Um, You mentioned, is it Marlon yesterday? Is he enough to make No, not by himself. Not by himself, no. Um, Marlon, to me, is someone that needs uh, an experienced vocal leader next to him. That's the impression I've always got with him. I think he is a good defender. I think he's very good 1v1. Mm. But I just don't know that they have a partner for him. And I just I just know that Scott Parker is going to roll Dennis Adoy out in this game. And I'm sorry, but Dennis Adoy is, is a liability for this team. He was the last time in the Premier League. I think he's going to be again. I think they're, you know, they're fullbacks. They've got a decent group of left backs that just they've 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 bought in a couple of right backs, but you know Tete or Aina needs to play. Tete played the last game, wasn't didn't look hundred percent fit, but the the centre back thing is just they've addressed the full backs, they haven't really done enough the centre backs. Marlon's not gonna fix the problem by himself. Now, I do like the goalkeeper Ariola. I do think they've done good business in midfield and and Guise's a really good <laughs> midfielder and the battle between him and Douglas Luiz is going to be really interesting it's two of them mm. two really good midfielders going head to head here um, I, I just don't think Fulham have done enough and I don't think they've got enough goal threat outside of Mitrovic whereas I think Villa have got a couple of different sources of goals because McGinn can get you some goals mm. Hurahan will get you a couple of goals Matty Cash I think will chip in with a few they've got this new front three They've still got Trezeguet, still got El Ghazi. Now, for this one, um, like I said, they're, the guys that are out, Tom Heaton probably wouldn't have played anyway because they've got the new goalkeeper, Bjorn Engels, mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have played anyway because Ezri Hans is in great form, and Wesley, who wouldn't have played because they bought the new strikers. Um, so Villa are at full strength, and I think I think they should just have enough to, to pick up a second one of the season here. And like you say, six points from six, is exactly what Dean Smith would have wanted. He would have looked at the the first two games and thought, right, that that's two wins, that'll get us rolling. I think Villa are going to be pretty decent this year. Yeah, I think they should be considering the investment as well. Mm. Uh, it's mad to me that Pete, whatever you listen on Sky Sports or anything like, still say Anguise is up for sale. Mm. He's their best player. <laughs> he is their best player. Uh, well, him, him or Mitrovic. Mitrovic is probably more effective, but Nguyen is probably the most talented player. I don't understand why he would still be up for sale. Last week against Leeds, he was the best player on the pitch. Mm. He outplayed Calvin Phillips. I think he had like 10 successful take-ons in the game as well as a holding midfielder. Uh, He's really good. Like If he is for sale and you're a club in need of a holding midfielder who can be a controller as well. Southampton. Southampton, Sheffield mm. United, um, Manchester, Chelsea. United. <laughs> Do you know, like he yeah. he he is a really good player, 
Um, and I think he gets he gets tarnished with a bad brush because of the last season he played with this group or with this team. Mm. Um, he did improve at the end of that season, though. But he did exactly. But by that point, they were they were falling apart. Um, he's only tw- like he's only twenty four. He's still mm. really young. He was really good for Marseille, like exceptionally good for Marseille. He was really good for Villarreal last year. And they would have kept him if it wasn't for the financial mess of Valencia allowing them to buy Parejo and Coquelin for like a combined 47 pence and a packet of crisps. Mm. Otherwise, they would have looked to have kept him. I think Fulham would be absolutely mad to sell him. But if you're in the market for a, a holding midfielder, you could do an awful lot worse. He's a very good player. Very, very good player. Progresses the ball mm. with his passing and with his with his ability to carry the ball. Um, yeah, Sheffield United, Southampton. There's a couple of others could do it. I mean, he would improve an awful lot of teams in the Premier League. Leicester, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so, so strange. Uh, but if they do that, they're pretty much screwed, I reckon. Um, possibly the biggest game of the the. Weekend or extended weekend, Liverpool v Arsenal. We we obviously did scout it over on AI for more in depth stuff on there, but um, they look a lot better with with Arteta in charge. Is is that make it a much more difficult game for Liverpool? I think it does. Um, he clearly has a way he sets up against bigger teams. Now, whether that I again, I I think a, a lot of that is just that he's not fully confident in his um in his approach yet but he is playing a back three as his base formation so it's not that he's a spoofer i think he actually does know what he's doing um liverpool are without joel matip joe gomez has a good chance of being fit for this one he's back training with the team today jordan henderson is unlikely to be fit and alex oxley chamberlain is ruled out with injury for Arsenal, Mustafi is out, Emil Smith Rowe is out, Socrates is out. Kieran Tierney is a doubt, but he is back training. Uh Pablo Mari is out, Martinelli is out, and Callum Chambers is out. You would say, being realistic, Kieran Tierney's the only one who likely would have started from that group. Maybe Pablo Mari. Mm-hmm. But I think Kieran Tierney's probably the only one that would have started. Um if he doesn't start in this game, I think they're in a bit of bother because Klasnak is not a centre back. Don't care how many mm times you try it he's just not going to work there I think Liverpool looked really good against Chelsea I know Chelsea had a man sent off but Liverpool controlled that game very very easily they looked very very comfortable and I think we'll see Thiago make his first start I think we'll see Liverpool control the game Arsenal will of course be a threat any team with Aubameyang is a threat they have Lacazette they have Willian they have Saka, they have quality players. Don't think they've got enough in midfield. Without Tierney, I'd worry about the defence because, you know, holding is what he is. Kolasnik is what he is. And Gabriel in the last two games has had a bad first kind of 10, 15 minutes and then really grown into the game. And by the end of the game, looks tremendous. And Liverpool start games at a high tempo. So, I think they might look to target that. I'm going to say Liverpool win this game 3-1. Ooh, 
Well, on that, I mean, maybe apart from Aubameyang, is, is Tierney now their most important player? Because they yes. kind of play half a back three and then move into a four when they're attacking. And Tierney does that so well, going between centre-back and left-back. He's, he's also the, lead, he's the leader at the back as well. Mm. He's the organiser. He's the one that's pulling people into position, talking to everybody. You know, with a, with a new young centre-back next to him in Gabriel, he's the one that's sort of coaxing him along and holding his hand a little bit. And, um, yeah, I, I, I do. I think that after Obama and Kieran Tierney's their most important player and potentially their their best player after Aubameyang. I think Kieran Tierney's really good. Mm. People people often overlook him, but if, for me, as a as a left back, he's top top four in the league. Mm. I think it's Andy Robertson, and then I think you'd look at Lucas Digne, Kieran Tierney, and Chilwell. Mm-hmm. And I think Tierney's he's clearly the best defender, and I think he's actually the best defensive left back no matter who you name, including Robertson. Um, and he's good going forward. The others, the others are great going forward. He's merely good, but he is great defensively. And the others range from average to good. Like, I would say Chilwell is an average defensive left-back. Dini is an average defensive left-back. Robertson's a good defensive left-back, but Tierney's great defensively. And uh, and can play anywhere. You can play him right back, right centre back, middle of a back three, left centre back, or on the or as a left back. And he can play holding midfield as well. Like the, he's a, he's a really good player. And if he stays fit, he's going to be great for Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. From I, I didn't see pretty much anything at Celtic, but his start at Arsenal has been pretty damn good. Um, a bit more on the Liverpool perspective. You mentioned Thiago starting there. Is that what you want, or is that what you expect Klopp to do? No, it's what I expect Klopp to do in this game. I think, I think if if Gomez is fit, we get Thiago, Fabinho, and probably Ginny Wijnaldum starting mm-hmm. because I think Henderson's. I don't think Henderson will be will will be ready to start. He might make the bench. So that's what I think happens if Gomez is fit. If Gomez is not fit. I think Fabinho stays at centre-back as he was against Chelsea. Now, that concerns me, and that might give Arsenal their avenue in because Timo Werner in his second Premier League game in a team that doesn't have a clear plan is a very different beast to Aubameyang with a really clearly defined role under Arteta. Um, And Aubameyang is just so confident in what he does. But I, if if Fabinho's at centre back, I think we see, I think we see Wijnaldum and Naby either side of Thiago. I think Thiago would start as the six if Fabinho can't play in midfield. Yeah, and that's the good thing. Obviously, let's let's show our bias. That's the good thing about having so many options in midfields, though, isn't it? It is for sure. I mean, we saw last night as well in the in the Carabao Cup, Curtis Jones put forward a case that he should be involved. Um, I, I watched the game this morning. Marco Grujic had, I thought, a, a pretty decent game. Mm. Um, and, that, you know, like I said earlier, I'd like to see him stay in the Premier League. I'd, I'd like to see Liverpool keep him, but they've got so many bodies in midfield, it probably wouldn't be fair to him. But, um, no, I, I, think, I think Liverpool have, have good options... Pretty much everywhere except centre back, where 
they do need to make one more addition. That's the the one hole in the squad is that they need that fourth centre back because when you've got players like Gomez and Matip, who have just a career of injuries, um, mm. I think you need to have someone that you can rely on. And and like for me personally, I really like Joe Gomez, but I just think defensively he has a quite a few lapses. Matip. Matip with and without Virgil are very different things. And I, Virgil makes everybody better. Like, whoever plays next to Virgil just looks a lot better. Um, like, Lovren looked semi-competent next to him. A train wreck without him. Matip, I think, is, is a decent player for sure. But with Virgil, he looks very, very good. Um, I'd like to have... If it was me, I, I would like to see us... See us See Liverpool uh, buy a new centre-back, a young centre-back who you could potentially look at and say, right, within 18 months, this guy can be the starter. Mm. Like I've said, said, said it before, Ozan Kabak would be perfect. Um, Wesley Fafana would be, you know, he is stylistically and statistically, he is very similar to Virgil. Now, he's obviously much younger than Virgil and isn't near that level, but as a long-term prospect, he could be the one. You could buy him now and develop him to be Virgil's replacement. He could play alongside him for a couple of years, and then, you know, he's kind of becomes the next Virgil. But I, I think, I think that's the one area of weakness Liverpool have is that they just are a little thin at centre back. Um, like I like the backup fullbacks. I like the options in midfield. I think the the attacking options now, especially if Shakiri can stay fit. Because if he stays fit and he stays at the club, he's a good player. Like there's no way to argue. Jordan Shakiri is a good player. He's got a lot of talent. Minamino looked brilliant last night. Jota is is quality. Um, that one that's the one the one issue. And if Fabinho plays against Arsenal in that role, I'd just be a little bit worried about what Aubameyang might do. Yeah, yeah. But I still think Liverpool win the game. Yeah, I'd agree with everything you said there. Uh, and that was the last game. And that's it. That's our show for today, then. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, tomorrow, we have an interview with Stephen Scragg, uh, which will be looking at his book, A Tournament Frozen in Time, um, about the Cup Winners' Cup, which I think we, we badly miss in today's game. So uh, that one is uh, that'll be out tomorrow, nice and early in the morning, to give you something to listen to before the game so do check that out and aside from that i will be back on monday thank you as always have a great weekend Podcast Network.